This is the Yale University Press podcast. I'm Claire Barnes, one of the hosts of the podcast, covering our books on the environment, politics, religion, history, law, and biography. I'm excited to welcome our guest today, Piero Martin, author of The Seven Measures of the World. Piero Martin is professor of experimental physics at the University of Padua and a science writer. He carries out research on thermonuclear fusion and is chief physicist of the international DTT fusion experiment. Today, we're here to talk with Piero about his new book with Yale University Press, The Seven Measures of the World. I'm so excited to be here with you today, Piero. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hello. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, it's a great pleasure for me. Great experience working with you. And it's uh, it's nice to be here. And I uh, also say hello to all the people who are listening. I'm excited to, to talk with you today. Uh, I want to first start with giving our listeners a little bit um, more about your background in physics. What inspired you to pursue a career in physics? And what questions from the field fascinated you at the start of your career? Well, uh, my choice for physics uh, uh, was because uh, uh, physics deals uh, with nature. Uh, so basically, by studying physics, uh, uh, you try to understand uh, how nature works around you and how natural phenomena happen. And uh, I found this uh, very, very, very exciting. And uh, when, when you are a young guy, you know, I was really... At the beginning of my career, I wasn't really sure whether to study mathematics or physics. But then, you know, I moved quickly to physics. Mathematics, of course, is very important. It's a very important tool. Uh, but uh, in my personal opinion, physics gives me a chance to get closer uh, to the main questions uh, of the universe, how things work, how, you know, how big things work, but also how small things work, also how things uh, around us work and this is it's really very nice and so from from that curiosity i turned that curiosity into into my job which is what i'm doing now at the university of padova and uh, the question that fascinates me is from uh, since a few years uh, is how to uh, how to how to say reproduce on the herd the energy of the sun. That's what we are trying to do with controlled thermonuclear fusion. And that's what really I'm trying to, to do. Yeah, I, I think um, your f fascination with, with nature especially comes out in the book as so much of measurements, the, the way in which we measure things comes from nature or our bodies. And we use measurement to, to understand natural phenomenon as well as Fig figuring out our, our place in the world. And in, in the seven measures of the world, you explore how scientific knowledge is built around seven key pillars of measurement and, you know, how these measurements help us understand the physical world. And can you tell us more about your inspiration for writing the book? Uh, well, uh, you, you you are perfectly correct. Uh, I thought that uh, I think that measurements are really uh, our way to interact with the world and with nature. Uh, I used to say, I used to say that it's a sort of alphabet uh, or a palette, if you wish, uh, that allows us to uh, to interact 
with the world to understand how nature is working and to as you correctly say how how is our position into this world and indeed uh, this is not uh, absolutely something new is something that mankind uh, humanities as uh, uh, we did since the very beginning uh, the among the oldest calendar uh, tools to measure time for example uh, that we we have found uh, that archaeologists have found uh, there are those which are dated 30 years 30,000 years ago so really a long time so measurements have always accompanied uh, the humanity, uh, its interaction with the world, interaction among humans. It's an international language. And uh, I think it's really fascinating to see how all our scientific knowledge from uh, quantum mechanics to relativity, from the physics of the glass of water, which is standing close to me, to, to a thermonuclear uh, fusion reactor, well, Everything can be described with only seven measurements, seven units of measurements. And this, uh, for me, it's a really incredible, terrific scientific challenge and something which is also very, very elegant. And this was the reason why I thought that uh, in order to uh, tell nice scientific uh, stories, uh, referring to the seven measurements would have been uh, a good way to start. Yeah, and and I'd like to note that the the book itself is is really accessible in its nature. It is for um, an educated and public audience, even with those who have relatively little knowledge of physics. Which so so it's such a great read in that way. And you know, I'm fascinated to hear more about the many ancient civilizations that you talk about in the book, like the Egyptians and the Romans that have profoundly impacted measurement as we know it today. Um, I'm wondering if you could tell our listeners a little bit about how you incorporate uh, the types of measurement systems that ancient civilizations had and used. And is there anything that you think readers will be shocked about in in your discussion of these ancient civilizations? Yeah. uh, Well, it's interesting because uh, uh, almost, uh, well, I would say not almost, but every big civilization Sumerian, Egyptian, uh, Roman, uh, the the ancient uh, Chinese civilization, uh, when people started to get together, to get organized, to live in the communities, uh, they had uh, as a big goal that of uh, um, setting a common set of measurements. Uh, You know, we are used in our approach to um, civilization to think that people... uh, for example, you know, when, when they get together, they establish law, they establish rules, uh, they establish, you know, relations, relationships of uh, various kind. But they also established, uh, since the very beginning, uh, um, measurement system, units of measurement which are standardized. Uh, that was done by the Egyptian, for example, was done by all ancient civilization of the Mediterranean area, uh, was done by the Roman Empire. Uh, something similar happened in China. And uh, uh, interesting, the history of these uh, uh, big uh, civilizations uh, is uh, connected to the history of measurements. And when these uh, uh, big uh, communities uh, fall apart, uh, 
almost always their measurement system went away uh, with them. Uh, you know, you ask me something, uh, people may be shocked. Well, uh, one curious thing is that, uh, you know, in the ancient Egypt, uh, they used to um, they use as a measurement unit the cubitus, uh, which is the distance between uh, from the point of your finger uh, to, to your heel ball. Uh, and, uh, uh, well, that name... Uh, recurs under 79 times in the Bible, no matter which is your religious uh, thought, but uh, it's interesting to, uh, to discover that uh, in such a famous book, measurements are, are really crucial. But also, if you think to the big pyramids, uh, like the, the, the Giza big pyramid, well, the, um, they... I would say to the, the size of the pyramid on the base, it's around about 230 meters long. Well, uh, the difference between the four bases of the pyramids, it's in the order of, uh, you know, tens of centimeters. It's really amazing as in that in, the, in that times uh, they were able with their uh, unit measurements to uh, to build such a precise uh, gigantic buildings. And one more point that uh, I'd like to add is that uh, the first measurement systems that uh, humanity uh, had was something that uh, they brought with themselves, part of the human body. And in fact, uh, you know, still now uh, the American measurement system, the imperial system, as it's called, is based on the feet, on the, you know, on, on the inch, on the, on the number of measurements that are related uh, to part of the human bodies and the old times was exactly like that you know the human body was our measurement system it may have, i mean define our measurement units yeah i i think that when i you know was reading the book there was really as as you're talking about a fascinating relationship between the human body and units of measurement and as i was reading about the way in which uh, the egyptians used uh, the cubit or the cubitus um, to collect taxes on their land, it was really illuminating to see how these systems of measurement, even if they died out with their civilizations, said something about the way that human society was constructed, that we understood ourselves and conflict and creativity. And I'm wondering if you could tell us more about that. Um, you know, in in history, uh, how has measurement, you know, what what has it revealed to us about the human mind and society? Well, uh, measurements uh, were um, at the same time a tool for uh, defining power and a tool to include. Uh, people. I, I just make you a couple examples. Uh, the ancient Sumerian kings uh, are often uh, represented in the statue uh, with a ruler uh, in their hands because the ruler was, uh, you know, the king had the ruler. The king, the measurements was uh, a tool uh, of power. You also uh, mentioned the the pharaoh in an ancient uh, Egypt, uh, they used to measure the land precisely to uh, collect taxes. And uh, indeed, uh, after the big floodings of the Nilus Valley, 
they had to redefine all the properties because they were given uh, to the Egyptian to be uh, cultivated. And of course, uh, the king wanted to get taxes out of that. So they had to know exactly the size of that land. Uh, but uh, uh, there is, uh, for, for you know, measurements uh, to some extent defined uh, our um, relationship with the with the gods. Things again to the ancient Egyptian that were uh, waiting, uh, according to the tradition, uh, the hurt of the dead in order to see uh, whether it was uh, lighter or heavier uh, of a plume than a plume, and this was defining whether um, the, the dead person were was admitted or not uh, in the kingdom of the dead. But going back to, um, to the example I wanted to make, I go now. I jump to the uh, Rome, you know, to the Roman Empire. Well, the Roman Empire had uh, a very uh, broad uh, network of uh, roads. You know, it's estimated that uh, they built a road in Europe for around about eighty thousand kilometers, so more or less twice uh, around the earth at the uh, equator. Well. Uh, Every mile, uh, there was a, um, a, a milestone that uh, wrote in that uh, two numbers. One was the numbers, the distance in miles from the nearby, from the nearest uh, big city, and the other one was the distance uh, in miles from Rome. Well, it's pretty amazing because the first number you understand. You know, if you're if you were a traveler at that time, you wanted to know how many miles. Uh, uh, yet still to go maybe with your horse in order to get the nearest village. But uh, what about the distance from Rome? Think that, you know, the Roman Empire extended for a large fraction of the present Europe. And actually, the the, the more the farthest um, uh, milestone that has been found, it's uh, in France, uh, and it's around about 800 miles from Rome. Well, that number meant two precise things. On one thing, it was a message of inclusion. So it was saying to everyone, well, even if you live far away from the capital, well, that road will bring you to the capital. That numbers tells you that uh, uh, you can reach the capital. We mean maybe a far, you know, a long trip, but you're allowed to get there. It's a message, uh, we welcome you. But at the same time, was a clear message of power because this also meant if that uh, those population were living at the border of the empire, were uh, you know thought to to fight against Rome, they had to know that the Roman army was uh, uh, able to come that because there was a road and there was a number of miles to get there. So it was a double message. Very interesting in the way that the measurements uh, uh, are defining society in the old and in the present times too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that dual frame of of measurements allowed ancient civilizations to both define power and include people in their empire building is so interesting. And I was also when when I was um, reading the section about the milestone plaques that sometimes still still exist in Rome, um, I was also struck in the, in the ways in which they provided a landscape for uh, interpersonal (laughs) disagreements that they might have been cited in legal proceedings or disagreements between traders. And there are also, you know, in your book, really wonderful illustrations that connect to the places and stories that you tell 
about the history of measurement, including your discussion of milestone plaques that are in Rome. And I'm wondering if you were able to, you know, visit any of the the sites in Rome with these plaques that, that are connected to measurement or handle any of these ancient tools in, in the writing of this book? Oh, well, absolutely. Actually, it's pretty interesting because uh, uh, I saw milestones. Uh, I saw uh, from them, you know, in almost every um, city in the old part of the uh, Italian city, there are um, um, boards, I mean, stone boards, where the unit of measurements length typically are are placed and this comes from the middle age in the city where i live uh, which is venice uh, which is i suppose worldwide worldwide famous uh, still there are not so old there may be around about 300 years old uh, boards uh, close to the markets that define uh, the minimum size of the fish that could be sold on the market depending on the kind of fish and this was very interesting it was a sort of protection towards the customer uh, because uh, uh, basically they didn't want that the customer was, uh, you know, uh, uh, had to buy uh, fish which were too small for a high price, but at the same time uh, was a way to protect uh, nature. It was a sort of, uh, you know, uh, environmental protection at all because they wanted to be sure that the fishermen caught only fish which was adult big enough not 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 the small fish not the puppies because they had to grow and so it would have been not wise to 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 got them so yeah uh, one of the nice things of uh, uh, living uh, in a, in a country rich of history as italy is that uh, basically everywhere you go uh, you can find a sign of these old measurement systems yeah that that's fascinating and you know, thinking of using measurement as a tool of protection. Um, you know, in the present day, because we have this international system of measurements, I think it, as you wrote in the book, we don't have to bring our, um, you know, measuring tools to the market when when we go and buy things now because we've, we're in a different moment in the present day. And I do want to want to move um, towards the present day um, in our discussion and. I, I wanted to mention that in the in, a, in the introduction, you write about the band, the Beatles, a couple of times, and they have really interesting connections to um, modern advancements in terms of our systems of measurement. Can you talk more about your discussion of the Beatles in the book and how their timeline relates to important moments in the modern history of measurement? Uh, absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for the question. Is a sorry I like. I just want to to make first before going immediately to that uh, one quick point uh, that you mentioned. Measurements. Uh, uh, you said that we don't need to bring our ruler to the market uh, or our our scale, and that's perfectly true because measurements, the system of uh, of units of measurements, it's a matter of trust. Uh, Communities want to have a common system of measurements just to trust one into each other. Uh, it's, a, it's a tool of democracy, not, not, uh, not by chance. Uh, the modern system of measurement started with the French Revolution. So that's another very fascinating point, how basically a unit of measurements define our 
trust, you know, define uh, common trust. But let's go back to the Beatles. Well, uh, I started with the Beatles because I found uh, a pretty interesting uh, coincidence, uh, temporal coincidence. It was 1960 in uh, October, if I remember well. Uh, and uh, these four guys that at that time were totally unknown, you know, young guys, uh, went into a studio in Hamburg in a recording studio, and they recorded uh, um, their first uh, uh, tape. I think at the time they recorded tape. They played, uh, if I remember well, Summertime by Gershwin and other things. And, you know, it's, they probably had uh, coronated the dream of every young band, music band, because they recorded something. Well, probably nobody at that time uh, realized or were able to predict that uh, those four guys would have become the Beatles, you know, and that uh, after that recording, they would have recorded, you know, millions and millions of discs and other things. So, uh, but uh, exactly in the same week, uh, in October 1960, in Paris, other people, probably much more, you know, um, seriously dressed than the Beatles, met uh, in order to um, define, it was the, the conference of uh, units and measurements, to define the international system of measurements. In 1960, October 1960, um, the, um, the agreement on what it is now, the international system of measurements, was set in Paris. What the connection with the two? I, I think that uh, with the two events, I think that uh, none of us would doubt that the Beatles have influenced uh, uh, the culture of the 20th century and probably also this century, you know. It's, in modern culture, Beatles had, uh, had, you know, have a big impact. But at the same time, I do believe that also that date, also that decision of getting an international system of measurements uh, uh, had and will have a significant impact uh, in our approach to the world. Uh, maybe uh, it's definitely less popular, uh, it's less known, uh, but I dare to say uh, that also defining uh, an international system, so to say, to uh, making real uh, the dream of the French Revolution to have a system of measurements for all and always the same is something, it's a big, big uh, result of uh, us as humans. It's a big sign of trust and it's a big tool that allows us to, to progress, to understand each other and to understand the world and hopefully to protect the world too. Yeah, I'm so glad that um, you brought up the French Revolution because in your discussion of measurement and a lot of the ancient civilizations that you talked about, thinking about, you know, measurement as a way to connect to God, measurement that was uh, stored with the ruler, that was protected by the ruler, you know, that that kind of all shifted as you're talking about, you know, with the French Revolution and um, moving towards abandoning both the you know religious aspects that go into measurement, but also to more of a democratic understanding of science, um, using measurement as a tool of democracy. Um, and I, I wanted to turn to uh, a, a question about the relationship between uh, democracy, uh, academic freedom, and measurement. And in the book, you mentioned that the university of uh, Padua's motto is Paduan freedom is universal for everyone. And there is a serious concern in the book around academic freedom, 
societal freedom, freedom for scientists to research and explore. And I'm wondering if you you could talk more about this in general um, and how censorship or dictatorships even can limit our freedom in using measurement to understand the world better. Yes, uh, you know we, uh, I would say, in the in the U.S. in Europe, uh, we are from this point of view uh, lucky. Of course, we live in uh, in open society. We live in democracies, uh, and uh, you know, in, uh, in all my experience uh, in the U.S., where I've been a number of times in Europe, academic freedom has always been, uh, uh, you know, a really important, a crucial thing. Uh, for university uh, and uh, but this is not uh, is not the same everywhere at different level and I try to elaborate a little bit well first of all uh, we know that there are uh, societies uh, or situation around the world uh, where our colleagues uh, are not uh, are not free or uh, where they are not free to express their opinion are not free to uh, you know, to apply the research uh, or to to study some kinds of uh, some kinds of field, so that's something on which uh, we have to be uh, very careful. Uh, certainly, in Padova, we try to um, to analyze. We are becoming more and more sensitive about this point. Also, when we establish collaboration, in order to be uh, you know to be sure as much as possible that academic freedom is always kept as uh, you know totally uh, granted for the partners we collaborate with. But uh, uh, as far as measurements are concerned, uh, there is something a bit more subtle that uh, uh, might influence also um, our our system, uh, you know, which has not to do explicitly with the democracy, democracy at large, but uh, uh, with the way we, uh, how to say, we organize our our studies and our our universities, uh, basically, in, in and not only university, but how we organize our life. Uh, one of the point, you know, my, my book uh, deals with measurements, so it's uh, you know I'm, I'm, it's all about measurements. But at the, in the conclusion, uh, I, uh, I give a warning that not everything in life can be measured, and not everything in life must be measured. Uh, what, what I mean, uh, of course, measurement is extremely important. Just again, to, to give you another example that uh, it's connected to the place where I live, Venice, in uh, 1561, uh, um, um, a doctor, a Venetian doctor, Santorio Santorio, invented uh, the thermometer for measuring for measuring body temperature he was uh, a, co- a colleague he was working together with galileo galilei and uh, he applied the experimental uh, tools to to medicine so think uh, how much measuring the body temperature has helped us in controlling the pandemics you know what a crucial tool has been in the, in the last couple of years but on the other hand so for this kind of thing, of course, measurements are crucial. They're crucial in science. They're crucial in a number of points. But uh, sometimes we try to exaggerate a little bit, maybe in measuring performance of our, for example, our kids trying to be uh, to 
you know measuring their uh, their performance too early without leaving too much space uh, to creativity uh, we try and that's my personal opinion we 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 think that uh, sometimes we exaggerate a little bit with uh, measuring performance in the university thanks to things to all the matter about metrics for example which of course it's important for for some things but on the other hand uh, uh, as the risk of uh, uh, you know increasing serial production of paper quantity better than quality, uh, but also in working environment things that uh, uh, sometimes uh, uh, you know uh, your performance is measured and this maybe sometimes goes against your creativity. So I just want to say that uh, measurements are extremely important, but we have to be a bit careful. Not everything is measurable in uh, in our lives. Hmm. Yeah, that's um, a really fascinating point. Um, and uh, I really uh, was struck by the your story um, of, of how, especially around body temperature, of how, you know, measurement really impacts all aspects of science and life from modern medicine, modern technology, even in the workplace, as you mentioned. And I did want to bring up for our listeners the seven measurements that you talk about in the book. And as it's the book is called The Seven Measures of the World, and it's structured by chapter by these seven measures, including the meter for length, the second for time, the kilogram for mass, the Kelvin for temperature, the amper for electricity, the mole for quantity of substance, and the candela for luminous intensity. And I know we just talked about how not everything can be measured, but I, I do want... Um, to ask if uh, you have uh, uh, can you tell our tell our listeners a little bit about um, out of all of these measurements, do you have a, you know a most reference measurement from the book, and what measurement normally gets the least attention in popular culture that you would like our our listeners to learn more about? Well, uh, if I had to make, uh, uh, I'll just say uh, the top and bottom in, uh, in I would say, in public, um, how, how can you call it in public, uh, in the public opinion, I would say, I think that, well, time, it's clearly the most quoted, the most cited measurements. You know, it, it, it happens to me many times when I, when I go to talk about uh, science, popular science, that, you know, the, the question about time is really intriguing. What is time? How we measure it? It's something you know. Time is related to human life. No way. Uh, we we you know our life uh, as a duration. Time is something that uh, uh, runs from our birth to our death. So something that has, of course, a very strong philosophical impact. And the measurement of time, uh, it's uh, it's extremely important. You know. Everywhere you go, from the uh, in in the squares of the old cities in the Middle Age, they had uh, clocks. Uh, but I'm, I, you know, it's kind of wide that I'm not in New York City, but I'm pretty sure that still in uh, Times Square there is still <laughs> a big clock, <laughs> electronic clock, I suppose at this point. Uh, but so the time is certainly a very very popular. But uh, on the other side, in terms of. Po- uh, of being uh, known, probably the less known of the seven, it's the candela. And uh, I'm sort of attached to it to some extent because uh, uh, among the seven, it's the it's the most human. Uh, let me explain why. I mean, the candela uh, 
it's not strictly strictly uh, a unit that uh, we would uh, uh, need. We could, you know, candela basically it's uh, basically an, an energy flux, uh, and it's something that uh, we could build uh, from the previous six units of measurements. Uh, and indeed, uh, for the luminous intensity, uh, we use, for example, the watt, uh, watt per square meter, watt per second. Uh, sorry, watt per square meter. Uh, the, for, for, for if you measure X-ray or other kind of electromagnetic radiation. But we use the candela for the visible light. So it's a very human uh, unit. And uh, uh, the physicist scientists decided, uh, of course, I'm, I'm kind of uh, exaggerating a little bit, but uh, I think there is some truth in my opinion. Uh, we decided to to keep the candela because it's uh, linked once again to our life. You know, we used to say that we uh, uh, we open our life to the world uh, when we uh, we are in the, our birthday, but uh, we close our eyes in the, you know in the last moment of our life. So uh, light is something that is connected to life, and so I think that science uh, wanted to in some ex- to some extent to recognize this and to have a unit for the luminous intensity for the visible light that would not be strictly necessary but it's very much connected with our with our experience in this planet so in this earth. So I like uh, from you know I if I had to pick my favorite probably I would pick the less known the candela. It's like probably the, you know if you have a if you have a soccer um, tournament it's like the the team which never wins it's at the <laughs> at the end of the score. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, it's it's nice from this point of view. Mm-hmm. That's great, and um, also the word candela is related to candle, right? I think in Latin. Um, So there is that human connection as well, which is great. Um, And I'm wondering if we um, can shift the discussion a little bit to talk more about the important role that measurement plays in the future of sustainability, specifically, you know, overcoming our challenges with climate change. And you talk a little bit about this in relationship to plastic and the mole um, but I'm interested as well in in your general thoughts on on how measurement can can aid us in tackling societal and institutional problems like climate change. Measurements have spoken, I would say. Measurements are speaking, are telling us uh, uh, a very dramatic truth about uh, uh, what we are doing to our herd and what we are doing to ourselves. Because, uh, uh, you know, measurements uh, as uh, the CO2 concentration in the atmosphere or measurements uh, of the water temperature, atmospheric temperature of the sea temperature are telling us much better and much more effectively than thousand million words uh, how dramatic is the climate change issue. So uh, I think that from this point of view, numbers and measurements uh, are telling us uh, a real truth and we should really uh, listen to them. So from this point of view, uh, once again, as many times during uh, the history of uh, humanity, uh, measurements uh, uh, tells us uh, important information, important news, uh, help us in, in having a relationship with 
the world which is hosting us, with the nature which is hosting us, because we have to remember that we are hosted in this environment. Uh, the, the real risk is not to kill the herd, but to kill ourselves as, as human uh, species. So that we, we have to always to be aware about that. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, I have also very an optimistic message. Uh, if measurements tell us uh, how dramatic the situation is, also measurements uh, tell uh, can help us uh, in finding solution. Uh, I was uh, thinking, for example, I'm thinking to to my field. I go back to my field of experience, thermonuclear fusion. Uh, we are trying to reproduce the process that powers the sun and the stars. It's a nuclear process, so with a very high efficiency, um, no uh, radioactive waste, no long-ranging, long-lasting uh, radioactive waste. Uh, very uh, fuel, which is very. Uh, very common and not risk of accidents. So it's a very big challenge. In order to reach that goal, uh, we need uh, to reach uh, given values, given measurements of temperature, given measurements of confinement time, of plasma density. So uh, those numbers that to some extent uh, give also the, um, the level at which our creativity, our research is coming, will definitely help. If we listen to those numbers, if uh, um, our policymakers listen to to the numbers that scientists are giving them to explain their progress, I think that we are we have way out from from this uh, from this uh, crisis, and we have really ways to to get a greener energy and a greener world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I think you know that that optimism um, really comes through in the conclusion where you discuss how our understanding of, of measurement is really essential to our lives, our well-being, and our progress, and that these measurements can be used to work um, towards making better collective decisions, as you've talked about. And, um, you know, with, uh, with, the, with your thermonuclear projects, uh, the measurement for temperature, the Kelvin, really comes into play, and, and that was a fascinating chapter as well. And, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, as we come to the end of our conversation today, is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you'd like to share with our listeners about this book? Well, uh, as you said, uh, I would say, well, a touch of optimism, first of all. Uh, I think that uh, we, uh, as, um, as human beings, we have a lot of creativity and we will use it uh, to, to make the herd a better place to live. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, the message that I would like to, to leave, uh, and which is connected, I, I come back to the, to the beginning of our conversation uh, when you asked me basically why I wrote this book and what was my experience. I think that science can be really important uh, for democracy and for the communities or for living better together. And we as scientists uh, need to make uh, a large effort uh, in order to popularize science, uh, to reach uh, out as much people as possible with nice and uh, effective uh, and rigorous uh, scientific uh, stories. And I find that the measurement system uh, is uh, an ideal subject for that because uh, it's a, you know it's an example on how science allow us to 
interacts among ourselves, to interact with nature, as again to make this place a better place, both in terms of environment, but also in terms of human relationships. So uh, that's the, how to say, that's what moved me, uh, that what prompted me in writing this book. Uh, and uh, I feel this responsibility. I know that a lot of colleagues feel that, uh, and we really have to, uh, to reach as many people as possible. We have to go outside our classroom, outside our labs. We have to tell story. We have to be entertaining, of course. And I try to be entertaining because there is nothing wrong in being entertaining also when you when you talk about a serious subject of science. And so, yeah, that's the message. I think that the measurements are good for our life, but are also very interesting and sometimes funny and entertaining. Mm-hmm. The book itself is is really full of fascinating, entertaining, as you say, stories um, that that unpack uh, more complicated scientific terms as well as equations and allow us to to connect to measurement um, as as it does connect to, to our broader lives and has done so for many years, as we've talked about, um, even, you know, back to ancient civilizations. And I wanted to thank you so much, Piero, for taking the time out of your day to talk with us about the seven measures of the world. And I urge our listeners who are interested in the history of science and more specifically in how measurement is tied into our human experience to go and, and pick up this book. Thank you. Thank you. It has been a pleasure to be with you and with all the people who, uh, who listen to us. Uh, thanks. Thanks. And thanks to Yale University Press for this great opportunity you gave to me. Thank you so much again for being here with us. The Seven Measures of the World by Piero Martin is now available wherever books are sold. Thank you so much for listening. Please visit us online at YaleBooks.com for more episodes of the podcast, as well as information about all of our books.